This is Jason Albert, and you are listening to Nordic Nation from Faster Skier. U.S. women's cross-country skiing is still a buzz after the gold medal in Pyeongchang this past winter. Here on Nordic Nation, we wanted to reflect a bit with a pioneer of the sport. That would be 65-year-old Allison Owen Bradley, who is now based in Bozeman, Montana. She was one of the first U.S. women to make waves on the international ski racing circuit. Here to give a proper intro to Owen Bradley is Marty Hall, recent inductee into the U.S. Ski Hall of Fame and first head coach of the U.S. women's cross-country ski team. Here's Marty with an anecdote about Little League Baseball back in the 60s and how Owen Bradley broke a glass ceiling in junior skiing. But uh, some uh, interesting things happened and, you know, there have been any number of Little League programs where the girls come out. And even my sister had that happen to her when she was in grade school, you know, went to a uh, baseball game and uh, the first year had her baseball cap on and uh, nobody recognized her as being a girl. But the second year she had pigtails. It's a girl. <laughs> and so same thing happened to Allison. She went to the first junior nationals in 65 and they wouldn't let her ski. She went again in 66 in Winter Park and, uh, you know, they kind of threw their hands up in the air and said, what are we going to do with her? So they put her in the, in the uh, uh, boys' field. They had an ambulance at the, at the finish line. And, and as she says, it, they probably thought my ovaries were going to fall out. So anyway, uh, that's how it got going. But it's so much bigger than that as to, you know, that was the first program. And if you were to use... Keegan's famous line, you know, uh, she gave herself a 10-year window and she had to extend it to a 12-year window. By 1980, Allison was a top 10 skier in the world. Thanks, Marty, for that uh, introduction. And now on to the interview. I would love it if you could kind of introduce yourself and maybe think a little bit of back to, I know that you were in Alaska recently and I'm not sure if it was, I think it was a celebration at APU. Is that correct? Yep, it was. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I would like to kind of, if you can kind of think about how they introduced you, um, if they did, and if they didn't, they should have, (laughs) um, but how old you are, who you are, where are you based now? And, um, a little brief intro before we go deep here about how, what, you know, your involvement with cross-country skiing. Should I start now? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Well, um, my name's Allison Owen and Bradley is my last name now and I'm living in Bozeman and yeah, um, I just recently went up to Alaska Um for a, it was a ski hall of fame in induction into the Alaska ski hall of fame. And there were quite a few skiers, but really the one I guess I went to celebrate was Keegan Randall. And then one of my coaches wasn't exactly put in the hall of fame, but he got a special award at that event. And his name's Jim Mahaffey. And he was a coach for me up in Alaska when I was up there on a break that I had between when I 
was racing kind of my first part of my career. Um, I was really young. I skied for nine years on the national team from age thirty. Uh, let's see, I was about 15 or 16. And after I did that for about nine years, I took a break and I went to, to AMU, which is now APU, but Jim Mahaffey was my coach. And so they invited me to come up there for that ski hall of fame induction. And they introduced me at that because, um, in 1977, I was Alaska's most outstanding skier. And to qualify for that award, I was currently ranked the top cross-country skier of the country. I finished first in all the women's nationals, and I'd won all six Dannon Series races that that past winter. So I had been a top-level skier in Alaska, and and I just knew so many of the skiers, and they just wanted me to come up there. And it was such an honor and so fun, and I'd never met Keegan, and we just hit it off. We had so much fun. And, and like she, she and I closed down the place at night. And she said, man, we could just talk forever about this. And we really could because no matter, I feel like no matter what era you were, a person is on that international stage racing the best in the world all over the countries, you know. Um, it's a certain vibe and a certain energy that you don't find, I don't find it in normal life. And, and when I meet those kind of people, it's like, I just feel like they're family. And so I think he can, she said something sort of the same to that, that, um, you know, you're just kindred spirits. And so that was a really fun trip for me. And it, and it sort of brought back a lot of things in racing because I really haven't, I've gone on after I quit, uh, competing you know, it's been 30, over 30 years. And, and so life has included racing a little bit, like Masters Nationals. And then I was a coach for 10 years at the Sun Valley Ski Education Foundation. And I've been around it, but, but not at that international really level. I, I coached World Juniors in Italy one year at, you know, that kind of high-end competition scene. And, uh, you know, of course, I just loved it when I was doing that. And, and then you stop and, and um, you got to do, quote, quote, normal life. And, and it's very different. So that's kind of my, my, was my reintroduction to, to kind of seeing that world again was, was really recently up in Alaska. Let me, how old are you now? I am 65 years old. Okay. And... You began skiing, I believe, uh, in Wenatchee, Washington. Is that correct? That's right. Yes, I did. Okay. Can you talk a little bit about that? And I mean, and, and frame it in a way, I suppose, that's like, you know, it's a time when there are not, from my understanding, I've done some background research, not a lot of women in the sport in terms of the competition and or, or side of things. Can you speak a little bit about how you got involved in Wenatchee and who kind of nurtured you there? Okay. Well, that's fun. It's kind of a fun story. Um, you know, my dad was a mountaineer and an and a outdoor guy. And 
he had five kids and we were always outside hiking, kind of climbing, um, alpine skiing and generally just mucking around outside. And my dad saw my athletic prowess and he um, would set up like slack lines and, and gave me a unicycle and like really kind of let me have a lot of, lot of opportunity to, to develop kind of my athletic fun self. And, and so we did a lot of things and, but my dad, you know, he had had a lot of kids and not a lot of money. And so he, when the Alpine ski coaches in Wenatchee, they really wanted me to be on the Alpine ski team. And my dad didn't want that because he didn't really want me traveling around a lot on those teams. And he, he didn't want me like getting hurt and he kind of didn't like the Alpine scene that much. And so when he saw this little ad in the paper, the Wenatchee Daily World, that that this the, this cross-country ski team was starting, my dad said, eh, you can try that. I think you might like that because I love to run and I was very good at it. And so we went down there and, and this great guy, Herb Thomas, had started the program and he was, he'd been from Wenatchee and his family had an Apple brokerage uh, company, and he'd been in the biathlon unit uh, in Alaska and in the, in the Army, and then he'd also raced four-way at Middlebury College. And so he came back, and he started this program, and we would go down to the golf course in Wenatchee and ski, and it was usually at night. It was dark, and there was a few lights around, and so... We'd set a little track, and and he would show us how to ski. And man, it was so fun because it was du- kind of dark, and and so um, I just loved it. And and I just would do it all the every time I could get a chance. And I didn't realize at the time this wasn't something girls really were doing. And I think that they girls were doing this, um, but not the racing at nationals and stuff. But, but I know in Alaska and even in the East and of course around the world, a lot of girls did it, but it didn't, to me, it was no big deal. I was 13 years old. I mean, what does a 13 year old look around and see? The ski track. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't know. And, and I just loved it. And so I just kept doing it and I would go to the races and, and, and um, I think it was the next year or something. I don't exactly always have my dates right because this is a long time ago and, it, and those things don't matter too much to me. But somewhere in the next year or something, I got into the races and I made the Pacific Northwest Junior National Team. And they didn't tell me that I was going to be the only girl there and that this didn't happen, hadn't happened before. I just went and I brought my alpine skis and, and uh, I pretty much alpine skied every day. And uh, it, it was in Winter Park, Colorado, and it was great. And, but, you know, they didn't know if they should let a girl into this competition. It never happened and it was kind of a new thing. But fortunately you know, the powers of B said, yeah, let's let her do it. And so I did. And <clears throat> from that year on, they've had, oh, 
<laughs> girls division uh, at the national championships. And so that was the first time. And I have the coolest picture of me holding the Pacific Northwest junior national team sign. And, you know, I'm 13 and you could be up to 18. And so there's all these tall boys behind me. And um, I have that picture still of that first year of, of a girl being at the junior nationals. Oh, that's cool. I, I think it's factual, but like the urban myth that I've heard, and I, I think it's written about in Peggy Shin's book, and I, I, I know Marty Hall spoke about this, is that in some capacity, they put an ambulance near the finish line. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right. And because they really, it was in the era before women, you know, females, did very many sports. They didn't run marathons. They did some track. But I remember the track team at my high school, we didn't have one. And by then, by then I was really training year round for skiing. And I went to our principal and I said, we need a track team. And he's like, well, uh, you need an advisor and you need this and that. And we said, okay, well, we'll find an advisor for our track team. And we, I got my friend's mom who was a part-time typing teacher to be our advisor for track. And so we finally had a track team at, at my high school. And that's not that long ago that, you know, these kind of sports and opportunities started to be available to the girls and, and, and the women at, that they're so, I tell my daughter, you know, and she's like, oh, mom, that was so long ago. And it's like, not really. <laughs> So, yeah, at the end or, you know, at that race, they really didn't know how to deal, but they did well. I mean, they let me do it. I, you know, I didn't have any problems. And, uh, and I think, you know, they said, okay, well, let's, let's do this for girls. And I was glad, you know, that it was that easy. You know, I know, I mean, sometimes I look at it for like ski jumping in the Olympics and stuff. And it's just like, why is it so hard? Just let them do it. <laughs> and so we're talking, I'm trying to think, you know, if you, here it is. Like, I think you were born in 50, 1953. Yep. And so that puts you at 13. Um, oh, gosh. What is that? 19? Yeah, in 1966. Yeah. And so you are in high school in the late 60s where there's a lot of uh progressive things going down in certain parts of the country. I don't know what Wenatchee was going through. <laughs> Did you ever get the sense that you were kind of uh, breaking barriers or were you just like, yeah, I'm just a typical teenager who wants to have fun? Well, no, I knew, I knew I was the only girl there. And, but you know, I was pretty used to it because of the way my dad raised me. And, um, we did lots of hiking in the Cascades, and it, except for the other girls that my dad brought along, because he he start he took over the the team from Herb Thomas, and he just got all these kids. He was like the Pied Piper, and he had this big travel all car that he welded ski racks on and and welded a top rack. So we would put our backpacks on top and our skis on the side, and we'd go up into the onto the snowfields and the Cascades and ski in the summer and. But I knew that it wasn't a typical girl thing. So when I would like go to junior nationals, 
I actually roomed with the Alpine girls, so it didn't feel like I was the only girl. I mean, there was Alpine girls there. I just skied Alpine almost every day too. And so I don't know that I really fully embraced the fact that, you know, I was breaking barriers, but I knew I was doing something that <laughs> wasn't normal for a girl. But, you know, I, I, I didn't care. I didn't even, it didn't bother me one bit that no other girls did this. It wasn't like I felt funny about it or anything. It was just like, well, they should be doing it. I mean, come on, this is fun. You obviously stayed in the sport and you ended up going to the 1972 Olympics as well as the 1980 Olympics, um, if I have that correct. But, you know, can you discuss a little bit about you know, how you got involved with that next level of skiing after junior nationals and, you know, some of the characters that brought you into the fold and skiing as a national team skier. The first real national team, it was right before the Olympics in 68, because we didn't go to the Olympics, but I think they kind of named a team and... The next year, they sent some of us over to Europe to race, and I was on that team, and it was now a national team. We were getting ready to race in the 70 World Championships in Czechoslovakia, and, you know, there was a lot of women trying out for that, and, and um, so that was the first international world championships, you know, like world championship event. And I remember, you know, I was in high school, I was a junior in high school, and to go from Wenatchee to Prague, where it had just been the Russian invasion a couple of years ago, I mean, it was, it was like, it was a lot. I was young, and but Marty Hall was the coach, and he was just so great about, I wouldn't say pushing the sport for women, but allowing it and giving it every opportunity to succeed and to be good and to give us the the exposure to what it was what was going on in the world with nordic skiing for women and you know russia and east germany and all the scandinavian countries and you know they all had had teams for a long time and they were doing well and so we were behind and i was i was young on that team but then so I made that and, and we went and we, you know, we were amazed and we came home and said, okay, well, that, we got a lot of work to do. And we started to work and, and we trained. And so then, you know, the next year we went back to Europe for just racing over there in Scandinavia. And then the next year was the Olympic year and I made that team, just graduated from high school and that was 1972, Sapporo. But, but, you know, there were a lot of people coaching by then. There was a lot of teams that the, the boys' teams around the country and the men's teams just started integrating the women into their programs. So, you know, since the men had been doing this already, it wasn't that hard to get the women going and racing. And it was just ready. It was so ripe. At this point, when you were jumping into the international scene, and under the guidance of Marty, where were you tr mostly training? Well, I was still living at home in Wenatchee because I was in high school, you know, until 
until later. But um, so I would train, but Marty laid out good training programs. My dad actually had quite a bit of good training information from Norwegians who lived. There was a lot of Scandinavians in Seattle that were really into Nordic and racing. And they actually shared with my dad. I have I have these um, training guidelines and stuff that there's notes on there that says, please don't tell anyone we gave you this because it's kind of secret stuff from Norway. And, and uh, so we were on some pretty, you know, at those days, state-of-the-art training. And when I look at them now, I don't exactly know what the women's team does, but I, I mean, it's tweaked around because of skating and how much stronger you have to be because it's more of a strength endurance sport now. But for just the the classic skiing part of it, I think we were pretty we were pretty there. And, you know, a lot of distance, long slow distance. So I'd love to run through the mountains. And I lived in Wilson, Wyoming one summer and um or actually Moose, Wyoming, right by the Tetons, and I did a lot of mountain running there and you know, we did strength training. We had exogenies that we did a lot of strength training with. And now I know that there's a lot more strength training going on, but we had the basics. And, and you know, I skied. We'd have camps, uh, kind of like now. We'd go ski on the Dockstein Glacier. We'd uh, have camps in the summer. I remember one was up here at Big Sky. Yeah, we'd get together like they do now and train hard and figure out where we were and, and where we were weak and we'd work on it. And we do a lot of videoing. Roller skiing came in when I was there. They weren't easy to ski on. It was quite challenging, but really good for your balance and strength. And so we kind of did what people do now, but I think it's just jacked up a lot. And, um, you know, there's more of this, more of that, but the basics were there. It sounds like Marty, and, and just from knowing Marty a bit and and reading about his uh, contribution to the sport, uh, he was always trying to sort of find what are what are the Eastern Europeans doing beyond the obviously the doping, but um, <laughs> you know what's out there that's next level. And I know that Marty was trying to push that forefront. Did you get a sense of that at the time? Or again, is it just like you're in the program and you are, you know, you have your job of being the athlete and the coach has the job of like finding what's best for the athlete. Or were you cognizant that like Marty was really trying to like push the envelope and like what you all were capable of doing in training? Well, that's a fun question because you know, you have a coach, but you're you're obviously a creative, um, going for it person too to do that kind of thing. And so, so I only take so much—I <laughs> wouldn't call it lip—but you know, so much guidance. I mean, I'm really independent, and and I have always been, and and I think that makes a good Nordic skier, and I think that good coaches work to foster that strong personality and that that drive in people because you know Marty didn't want us just doing whatever he said without without knowing why and 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 questioning it and saying you know if he told us to do five intervals and we said why don't we do 10 you know i mean he liked us to be creative and 
push the envelope in every way that we wanted to. So Marty was doing that, but so were we. And we didn't wait around for Marty to, I mean, it's just like me going to the junior nationals the first time. I didn't wait for somebody to say, hey, you want to do this? It's like, no, just go do it. That's the same with the whole culture of those teams at those early stages was creativity and specificity to getting better at being fast on these little skis. (laughs) And we were about speed and how to get fast. And I loved that part of it to think about my training. How does this part of my training make me faster in a 5K? And to understand what I was doing was fun. Not, I love to do it, but I also love to understand it so that when I did go through an endurance training session of a three-hour run in the Cascade Mountains, I kind of understood why I would do that when my races were 15 minutes, you know. And, and so, no, M- Marty was great, and he was very innovative, and, but it, it just challenged me to be that way, too. And, and I loved his innovation, and I, I worked with it, and we did what he brought, but I think we all brought a lot, too. Like, Koki brought a lot. He brought a lot. You think about the effects that Koki had on skiing, and um, it was just a mindset to be creative, think out of the box, because for one thing, I didn't have a box. Cross-country skiing was new here, and especially to women, and so I could think out of the box really easy because there wasn't a box. So one of the things that, well, this, I thought it was a cool anecdote that Marty talked about, and I don't know exactly the timing on this, but it sounds like uh, at the time there was a Soviet skier, and I may butcher her name here, uh, Galina Kulikova. That's right. Um, did I do okay there with the pronunciation? <laughs> as far as um, I know, that's the way I okay. said <laughs> A renowned Soviet skier at the time in the 70s and really dominant, sounds like, in, in like the 10 kilometer minus races. And that he had put a photo of her in your training log uh, so, or something to that effect. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. What was that about? <laughs> <laughs> well, we kept training diaries and I think Marty did this for everyone, but I'm not sure about that, but I know in mine, on the, when I, every time I opened the front of it, there was a picture of her. And she's, you know, good-looking Russian, tough, but feminine. And, and um, I know Marty did it to inspire me. And I would look at it, and, you know, I was getting 30th, and, you know, I was still a kid, and going to these big races. And, and <laughs> it was a far far-fetched idea that I I was going to be able to be with her ever, but I'd see it every day. And so, you know, we kept these training legs for a long time. And at the end of my ski career, I was skiing well. I ended up the, the last year I raced seventh overall in the World Cup. And, and that's 1979, I believe, about? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. 79-80 season, I think. And uh, I remember being... In, uh, I, I think it was East Germany, and we were training for some other races, but everyone was there, almost everyone was there because it was high altitude. 
we did a lot of, you know, altitude training right before races that were more at sea level. And so we were up there and everybody was up there. And so it was a pretty big race. It wasn't a World Cup, but we had a relay. And for the U.S., I started number one. And Galina Kulakova started one. And all these, you know, other Norwegians, Swedes, Finns, everybody. And so I start out and, you know, I'm probably eighth. And pretty soon I start passing people. It's a 5K. And so I'm passing people and we're just skiing hard. And I remember I got up and, and I was passing everybody. And then pretty soon I'm just right behind her. And it's just her and I. And I'm skiing right behind her. And... We, we go up this hill and it starts to get pretty steep and my wax was good. I was feeling awesome. And I'm thinking I could pass her. And then all this stuff comes to my mind every single day that I looked at her thing and her picture. And I'm just like, what? Pass Galina Kulikova? What? And, and I'm kind of back and forth in my mind about it for, I don't know how long, but up this hill and I get to the top of the hill. And I'm just knowing I can go faster. So I just say, okay, track. And in those days, you know, there was one track and they had to get over and we passed, I passed her and oh my gosh, I come into the stadium in first place. <laughs> the second place girl, I think it was Leslie Bancroft, was not ready. And well, I mean, she was, she was ready physically, but she was not ready to start out in first and not ready to see me come in. And, so the coach had to kind of like pick her up a little bit and put her over there. And it was just such a cool thing to, to after, you know, however many years that was of skiing to have that happen that no, if you put in your time, you work hard, you're smart, you have the support, you can do this sport. And, and that, that day was just a cool, cool experience for all of us that no, we can do this. And one thing I look back on that, you know, a lot of times those Russians would beat us in these big competitions. And we, we often were mad at the coaches saying, how come you guys don't know how to peak us? Like, and now we look at that and we feel bad because we know what peaked those Russians. And it wasn't so often their training. And when we would race them outside of some of those world championship and Olympic events and stuff, we were right there. And then what would happen? Hmm. And we had no idea about doping. None. We had none. Did you get, did you get the sense that, and I'd have to kind of look at my, I wonder, uh, gosh, when were the Calgary games? Yeah, those were after my, my yeah. idea. Yeah, 88. I think it was 88 yeah. off the top of my head here. Because I know, I know Marty speaks quite a bit about like, oh boy, it was clear. Like he has, you know, sort of both anecdotal evidence and maybe hard, you know, I'd seen hard evidence like, oh yeah, there's, it's pervasive. Um, but uh, yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, we're talking late seventies here and the media machine worked a lot slower, but, but no, no sort of thought like, how are they so consistent or how do they, how are they able to peak? all the time for the right events. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's when I look back on it, I see it so much more clearly than when I was in it. Because I remember when I I decided I wasn't going to continue. I was 28 when I retired. And 
And from the research that I had been doing, 28 is when a female is finally fully mature physically. I mean, you know, their cardiovascular system, everything. It's about 28. And that's when I decided to retire. And that's when I was skiing really well in the world. And I remember being on the bus and I was sitting by the Finnish coach. I can't remember where we were in Europe, but we, we were going to the airport. And he was a, he was a great guy and, and friendly to our team. And he says, okay, well, you know, it's going to be great to see you next year. I said, nope, I'm out. I'm not, I'm not going to come back. And, and he was just devastated. He said, why not? And I said, you know, I just, I've reached what I can reach. Um, because at the big competitions, it was like, you, uh, we didn't know, you know, but he knew the Finns knew that what was going on. And, you know, you can't prove if they were, how much they were involved, especially with the women. I don't know, but he tried so hard to talk me out of retiring because I think he saw how good we were. But we didn't feel that because at the times when it meant the most to the press, when it meant the most to, you know, this and that, then we weren't. And it was so discouraging that what uh, what I see now is the doping problem, and we were so innocent and naive and to the problem and to what was really going on. We thought it was us, and we took all the responsibility, all the blame. Like, well, that's as good as we can get, and and you know, we just can't we just can't compete here. And when I look back, it's just kind of sad because we really were there and we never really totally got the credit for it, which, you know, you don't, you're not a Nordic, well, I wasn't a Nordic skier for any kind of credit because in, especially in those days, it was like, you'd get on an airplane and fly somewhere and you'd have your U.S. ski team jacket on and say, yeah, I'm on the Nordic team, cross country. They go, what? You ski across the country? What? I mean, they, people did not know what cross country skiing was so we were not doing it for fame and fortune but still even within us even within my own heart and soul I never gave myself that credit and I can now because when I look back at the results in the last year I raced um, there was one Norwegian five Russians ahead of me in the World Cup. And I just look at that and I go, wow, okay, that's pretty darn good. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, in particular, I mean, it's amazing straight up, but then considering the context of what may or may not have been going on. Do you, you know, a couple of things I don't want to miss here in terms of your career, because I know that, you know, one of the reasons that, you know, Marty was like, hey, man, you know, you got to speak to Allison. He's like, hey, man, you know, she was there. Like, yes, like there was the first gold medal, but Allison was the poster child, even though there may not have been a poster uh, <laughs> for the U.S. ski team's, you know, women's success. And, you know, and two things he spoke about. One was... And I don't think you can find it on the fifth site, but arguably you won the first ever, uh, first official women's world cup. Well, they, they, it was that when it happened, it was the first official world cup, but 
<laughs> there's so much question around it all now. And, you know, I have the medal that says first World Cup, first place, first World Cup. I have posters. I have ski racing magazines. I have all kinds of stuff that says that. But now they call it an unofficial World Cup. I don't know when that changed. I don't know how it changed. I wasn't ever asked about it or told about it. I just started hearing about it. So I'm just as confused as I can be about, about it. But some people call it, well, that was the pre-modern World Cup. But I don't know. I don't really care. I know that that in my day it was called that. It was like the World Cup started and and I won that race and I have a picture of me looking at the scoreboard going, this is fun. And I don't know, uh, whatever people want to call that kind of stuff, you know, there's nothing I, I or a skier can actually do. And I'm not in the politics of skiing. And I don't know how it changed over to that, but I know that that was considered a first and I've had so many of them. I just always considered that another one that, that yeah, the first world cup, first Olympic team, first junior nationals, like just like breaking through there. And so that's what we considered it at that time. And now I guess the FIS or something says it's unofficial, but Whatever, whatever they want to say it was, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, they a lot of their the races that occurred, and I say back in the day, but like beyond a certain date, it's almost like you can't find any information on in their official sort of database. So it's tough to kind of pull up the who, what, when, and where. You know, um, I I got a bunch of information from Tom Kelly and he went back in the ski racing red book and he sent me all the results from that year when I ended up seventh overall. And it's really fun to see, you know, all the different races that, that people still going to the same sites and the same races, you know, people are going way faster because training equipment is so much faster. Snow is faster. Wax is faster. So yeah, the times are, are incredibly improved, but not ex it hasn't really changed dramatically from when we did. Of course, there's skating, there's sprinting, there's all these different things. But if you just looked at the classic day race, it'd be pretty the same. Right. The other race that I want you to reflect upon a little bit, and this sort of came up in conversation when I was speaking to Marty, is that you know Jesse Diggins had a great home and colon race this year and I think she came in second to uh, Mart Bjorgen and um, it sounds like you two had a career day at the Home and Colon venue as well well in, in 19 the season of 1979-80 you know um, I got second in the 10k there and and yeah, I mean, I love Homocolon. I'd been there quite a few times before, and it was always at the end of the season. Sometimes I was so beat. I was so tired, and, and emotionally and physically, I was not <laughs> strong. Uh, but finally, when I was older and I could 
keep myself strong through the whole season. You know, it's in March or it used to be. And, um, and it was kind of slow snow. It was usually clister. And when you're tired anyway, and then you got slow snow and it's, and so it was always challenging the home and colon, but it was super fun because so many people and so festive and home and colon obviously is like just the biggest thing in Norway, especially, you know, so, so to get second there was like, <laughs> it's just like, I don't know. You can't even say what it's like. It's, it was just like, okay, uh, I'm there. I'm there in skiing. Like, like one of my coaches used to say to me, when you can get on the starting line and you're a threat to win or to medal or, you know, to be podium, you've made it. And that's how I felt that day. It was like, okay, I made it. Like I would have loved to win, but I knew that on another day I would because I wasn't very far behind and of first and I knew what it felt like to ski that way and I knew how you had to feel to do those sort of races and I felt that way and I felt so strong and and powerful and and you know my skiing was so good so I knew on another day I could do it but <sighs> Also, I knew that it wasn't a world championships or an Olympics and there wasn't that pressure, which now we know the pressure was really to dope. And so maybe that wasn't going on when I got second. I don't know because how can you know? But Holman Cullen wasn't the Olympics or world championships. And so, yeah, so that's the story. But I have that home and colon second place cup, and I also have a seventh and an eighth place cup. And I've been trying through the home and colon side. Marty's been trying to go back and find the results, but <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't seem that long ago, but they don't, we haven't been able to get our hands on those results. And I know I was seventh and eighth also. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah I bet you like the Norwegian Ski Federation. I forget what the official name is, but they're, I think they're based right there. Like their offices. I wonder if, yeah, they're, they're looking into it. The different, you know, Marty and, and Tom Kelly and some of those really good historian people are because, you know, I, I know I did it. It's just finding out when, and I mean, it's cause I have the little home and cone cups and you know, so anyway, I don't really know when that was, but second was like, I know that. And that is, <clears throat> you know, written down and stuff. So, yeah. Do you, do, do, I guess, you know, during, did you watch any of the races at the Olympics live? Uh, yeah. On, t- yeah. on television? Yeah. You know, and there was a lot of buzz this year prior to the Olympics, you know, like Jesse obviously was skiing well, Sadie, Keegan, the whole gamut. So, you know, the potential was there for a medal. I'm curious, were you watching the team sprint live sort of to see this, you know, it's kind of one of your legacies to the sport. I'm, I'm. Well, yeah, yeah. no kidding. I mean, I mean, I was just crying so happily when they won and, and for so many reasons, you know, and I'm sure every other Nordic skier in the country, practically the world probably felt that same joy because of the struggle and how they succeeded through the struggle. And, 
you know, for Keegan to have gone to five Olympics and that's her last race and she gets a gold medal, that's, that's huge. That's, that's the biggest story I've ever heard in my life, really. And in especially skiing, you know, it's like those girls doing that. Oh, you can't even say what that was like. And for someone like me who kind of knows, at least from my perspective, what it took for them to do it and what it took for that team to come together, the coaches, the program directors, the tech, the ski techs, the waxers, the ski guys who make the skis, everything. It's so huge. It's such a huge project. You know, the families of those people, it, it, the, the, they sacrifice to have that excellence happen. And, you know, one of my favorite things is, because I coached, you know, like I said, in Sun Valley for 10 years, and I taught skiing there. And and my, my love is to help people push their boundaries of what they think they're capable of and make those further and further out there because we don't even know what we're capable of. We think this is our limit. But I've been doing a lot of yoga and in yoga, it's like, no, you can do more. You, you can, you just are limited by what you think you can do. And it's so true. So when I see those girls like push their limits for Jessie to dig so deep like she did to do that, it's just so great because that's what I'm about. That's what I love is, no, break down the barriers you think you have. They're way further out there than you know. And and have fun doing it. Do you feel like the sport, at least like the the presence of women as as a representative represented in the sport do you think there are any other barriers to to kind of break at this point um yeah so what, what yeah go ahead if you cuz i can think of some but i don't want to yeah you know what do you think some of those barriers are well it's it's tough when i did it um rick was awesome to work with and for those 10 years it was rick and muffy ritz and i and rick was great but i can tell you i did not have that experience with other coaches at other places when i would take teams and it was tough being a woman and I think until there's a little bit of a nucleus of women that can go and they're not the only one there with this men's group that's the coaches and, you know, chewing tobacco and drinking beer. And, and it's like, it'll happen, but I think if we, if we got a little more of them, it would be more fun and comfortable and supportive of the women that had to be kind of on their own with it. And... You know, it's different when you're a coach because when I was a racer, if I didn't like, if someone didn't like me or, or they didn't, they were talking bad about me or whatever, it's just like, okay, tomorrow's the race. I had something I could prove myself with. You know, I could go and win the race. And it's like, there you go. But when you're a coach, okay, your kids do the, you know, but you really can't do it yourself. You can't be the one who won the race and your kids can do well, but you know, that might be wax. It might be money. It might be, you know, there's so many variables that you really can't count. Okay. I did this, you know, so coaching is a bit different than the racing. And so you don't have a way to kind of prove that what you're doing is working, not the same way as in racing anyway, but yeah. So those are a couple of the things that 
I think we can make some inroads in. And the other thing I would say about the coaching aspect is, is, um, you know, with all this technology and stuff now, just, you know, if, if it was a woman that had children, like say Keegan and stuff, you can coach, uh, a lot of different ways. Like I'm into strength training now, just body, you know, just like just lifting iron and, um, squats, deadlifts, all that. And I have coaches that are just online and you send them the video and they don't have to be in the room with you. And, you know, you show them what you're doing and they say, okay, you're not going low enough, this, that. And so these women can still be moms and homemakers and coaches. And I think that we need to open that up to, they don't have to travel around the world all the time to be a super good coach for, for young people. Yeah, that's actually a good point. Uh, if something, yeah, if something comes to mind that you want to talk about in the next week or so, <laughs> okay, uh, shoot me an email if you're like, oh, I wish I had brought up this. Um, but a, a pleasure to finally get your thoughts in one place here. And well, you know, I have to really thank you because you know, all those years after I retired, until the women's team reached out to all the Olympians, women, Nordic Olympians in our country, um, nobody had asked me anything. Um, you know, I coached with Rick and Muffy, but nobody asked me anything. And I always felt like that was such a waste because I had gone through so much and gotten to a pretty high level. And why didn't people want to use that? Why didn't, why didn't athletes call me up and say, what, 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 you know, like, like, and I never understood how we didn't carry on the information. And especially I think for women, I don't know if Koki did, he was a medalist, so it's probably different, but, and he, you know, spoke at different things or whatever, but, but I was always amazed that it was just done. And so you reaching out to me on Faster Skier has been one, the girls team, and then Marty and my first coach, Herb, uh, talking about this, this uh, National Hall of Fame thing have been the first three things that, that has really, um, and it, you know, it's probably because of the girls' medal, um, the women. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's all, it's all kind of fun that it's all kind of coming back around. Yeah, you know, it is cool. Well, thanks for your time. Again, like if anything comes to your mind that you want to chat about more, please reach out. I will. And if you need to edit out anything I've said that is not fun or good or whatever, oh. you're free to do it. <laughs> okay. I doubt that'll happen. Um, all right. Thanks again, Allison. And uh, have a great day. Okay. You're welcome. Okay. Take care. Yeah, Bye -bye. you too. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Nordic Nation. 